Hey, what's up? This is Shane. And this is Rory. And this is Weencast. And we welcome you to a new episode. Yes, good evening, everybody. We have... Hope everyone's doing as well as I am. Yeah. We, we, have, a, uh, we have a very special episode planned. A uh, couple of episodes, actually. This is going to be a, a two-parter. Um, before we get into uh, this episode, we just want to remind everyone... Uh, that we still have some of the Sound of Urchin uh, digital downloads available, um, either the albums of Rejoice or Black Castle still available as gifted to us by the amazing Chris Tomato from Sound of Urchin. Uh, I just wanted to give everyone a heads up. I am out of the bonus CDs. So there were a few bonus CDs included with the digital downloads at first, but he didn't send quite as many of those as he did the, uh, the digital download cards. Um, so first come, first serve, and those are gone. But I still have... All I got to say to that is, damn Gina. <laughs> so, so those are gone. The, the lucky people who got them got them, but we still have some of the digital download cards for those albums. You're still going to get some amazing music, amazing uh, bonus tracks. They still come with the bonus tracks, digital, um, and you get the stickers as well as our sticker and the signed liner notes by Tomato. $10 per album, either the album of Rejoice or the album of Black Castle, and just hit us up via email, uh, weencastpodcast at gmail.com, or just hit us up on Facebook and we'll set everything up. $10, that's shipped. It's right to your door. $10 even. You can't beat that deal with a stick. So hit us up if you you're try, interested in some amazing Urchin music. Yeah, dude, it's worth checking out. If you haven't heard Urchin before, you should check them out. This is a great opportunity to do it and to support our podcast. Thank you, people who already have. Uh, all the money goes to the podcast. Absolutely. It's a win-win. So it's a, it's a, it's a triple win. It's a win, win, win. Yeah. How many? Yeah. I mean, come on. You can't even count how many wins. Um, so, so, so we have a very special two part episode. Uh, we were lucky enough to be asked on a, another podcast, uh, late last year, which is our buddy Kenny, uh, and his music podcast ear floss. It's a music history podcast. Um, it's a fantastic podcast. Everyone ab- should check it out. Absolutely. So Kenny is an awesome dude, and every episode of his show revolves around a different musical act. So we were lucky enough to be asked by him uh, to help him sort of cover the Ween episode, and we were totally honored and thrilled to be able to talk to him about Ween, and... Kenny really made an amazing, concise podcast from our conversation. Uh, it's about an hour long. If you check out uh, Ear Floss, it's about an hour long, the uh, Ween episode. Um, we just had such a great time on the phone with him, and we talked for over two hours. So we really wanted to give our listeners a chance to hear our entire conversation because we get into a lot of different stuff um, that was left out just for simple time constraints. Yeah, it was a fantastic conversation. It was so long my Bluetooth uh, earpiece battery died. 
<laughs> and had to go to a backup <laughs> Yeah, we started having some technical difficulties towards the end. It went on so long. Um, well, you can really talk about Ween all night, so it was it was really awesome to be able to just to be able to talk for a couple hours. So we're really excited to sh- to share that with everyone in a uh, sort of the more um, just as it happened uh, kind of version. Absolutely. So we wanted to kind of present in a two part um, episode, part one and part two, our whole conversation kind of warts and all. So it might have been, uh, it might be shrunk down a little bit just to uh, close up some of the gaps where none of us are saying anything. But other than that, this is pretty much our entire conversation. So this will be the part one. Yeah, so everyone enjoy, enjoy part one coming at you. Hey everybody listening to Weencast Podcast. This is your old pal August Forming here, a.k.a. Fred Moore. And I want you all to tune in to my invitational radio show, WINV. It's recorded at the Invitational in New Hope, Pennsylvania. What I do is I select a invitational and I play songs from it. I narrate and tell stories. It's a lot of fun. So please sign up for my YouTube page, which is Fred Moore. And now back to Weencast Podcast. Hey, this is Kenny with Earfloss, a music history podcast. Earfloss is a bi-weekly music history podcast where each episode, me and a co-host, usually Natalia, take an in-depth look at a different band or musician from all genres and all times. We go into their life, their career, their history, and we talk about their music. You can find Earfloss on CastBox at castbox.fm or wherever you listen to podcasts. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. Check it out. Earfloss, a music history podcast. So, this is Kenny from Earfloss, a music history podcast. And this episode, we are speaking about the band Ween. And I have with me a couple of my favorite podcasters, Rory and Shane. What's up, guys? What's up, Kenny? Hey, what's up, Kenny? Thank you, Kenny. That's very kind of you. Uh, this is Rory from uh, Weencast. And this is Shane from Weencast. Glad to be here. Yeah, why don't you guys, why don't you guys, before we get into it, why don't you guys tell everybody about, about Weencast and what you guys are doing? Well, for the most part, the, uh, the podcast revolves around past shows that we've been to, Ween shows. Um, so we started off basically just doing uh, each episode is our discussion and review of a specific Ween show that we that we attended. Everything from how we found out about the show to getting there, who went with us, um, you know, what the trip was like getting to the show, where it was, what the venue is like, and then kind of getting into the actual show itself, the set list, what they pl- you know what they played, what they didn't play. Um, you know, so like a little bit of everything. And then we've also done a couple of different episodes where we talked about like our favorite Ween albums, um, had a couple of, of surprise guest um, interviews uh, from our friends and also, you know, people in the Ween community. And it's been great. It's been a lot of fun, really. Yeah, it's been great to share our experiences and, um, you know, just go down memory lane. That's what I keep going back to is... Uh 
that it's just just thinking back to all the different shows and and we try to go chronologically for the most part uh, from the first shows that we've been to and so it's just a lot of fun to to re-listen to old live shows and kind of just jog the memory and um, and uh, go down memory lane so it's it's a lot of fun yeah it's I really dig your guys's your guys's podcast I listen to it quite a bit I really dig ween and that's what that's what put me well put you guys on my radar and obviously that's who we're who we're speaking about tonight and i feel really lucky to have you guys because you guys know a lot about ween so it puts us in a it puts us in a good position because i feel like you guys are going to have a perspective on ween that that i don't have and that a lot of people listening aren't going to have and so it's going to be good to get into it um why don't you guys, why don't you guys, because before doing, before doing this episode, I, I was trying to figure out, I usually like to do a, a description of the band, kind of a little summary. I couldn't figure out how to do it for Ween because they're so, they're so much different than any other band. <laughs> um, why don't you guys explain Ween? Sure. Um, you know what I mean? So, so you're right. It's hard to, uh, you know, people always ask, you know, oh, what's Ween like? And, and it ends up being a, um, a long discussion. There's no, it's hard to just say, it, you know, in one sentence what Ween's about. Uh, it's really difficult to pigeonhole them. Uh, Ween plays just about every style of music out there. Uh, they have a country album. There's songs that are basically gospel. You have lounge singing songs. You got funk, you got punk, you got jam. Uh, rock and roll, uh, metal. Um, so they are all over the map. Uh, you know, music critics tend to think of them as alternative rock. Some people say experimental rock. Um, you know, those are fair labels, but I think that doesn't do it justice. Um, I prefer to think of them more like a, um, they're just like a mishmash of a postmodern pastiche of colors and flavors of music. And it's just, it's like a Jackson Pollock painting, but it's music and they're just all over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect because I was going to, I was going to say that I was going to say experimental rock, but, but you can't even classify some of it as rock. I mean, it's, for, it's for sure experimental and especially the early stuff, God, Ween, Satan, like that's, that's experimental, but I, I don't know if I would classify it as rock. Um, they're, they're super they are experimental. They use a lot of like, a lot of like effects, like sound effects. And they also, they're also super funny. Like doesn't 12 golden country greats only have 10, have 10 tracks. Yes. <laughs> that is it true. Does in fact only have 10 tracks, um, which is kind of one of the funny things. And that, you know, it's interesting that album's a, cl- a perfect example of how they're not always just rock. And when that came out, that kind of threw everyone for a loop. Uh, you know, all the critics, all the fans thought they knew who Ween was. And, uh, and then they put a country album out and totally confused everyone, um, which is totally their style. It's basically like a fuck you. Like, you, we're going to do what the hell we want, you know, and we're not going to play by anyone's rules, which is actually one of the things I love most about Ween. There, there's always been, from the early days until... Now, there's always been like an attitude about it. And yeah, one of one of my friends at one point said, I think of it as sort of like, fuck you, rock. And I don't think I ever heard it 
put so perfectly before. And I was like, yes, you know? So there's just, there's nothing that like they won't touch. There's nothing that they won't try. And it's like, if you, if you get it, you get it. If not, uh, you know, oh, well, fuck you. You know, that, that's kind of like the attitude. I mean, it's just, and it started, I, I think a lot of it really started in like a punk rock DIY kind of, you know, let's just oh, get it on metal. tape. Yeah, some some punk, some metal, just, you know, let's just get all of our, our angst and our rage on the tape and just see what happens. You know, that's sort of like how it how it started, I think. Yeah, and, and I also would push a little bit back on the, the funny part um, just to say that, uh, you know, definitely there's humor in, in some of their music and it's absolutely a piece of the puzzle. But I think for Ween fans, for big Ween fans, when you're in that mode, when you're in the Ween mode, the songs transcend humor and they just become these moments that you listen to and you completely get into it and it, it just becomes more about the song and how awesome the song is instead of haha that's funny i don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah no for sure because because they're ex- they're extremely talented musicians and and let's just talk about who they are it's it's deaner and Jeaner and and that's those are their I don't even want to say stage names that those are their those are their adopted ween names right can you can you talk about that a little bit like who the guy who the guys of of ween are yeah so you got uh, Dean and Jean and uh, Dean is Mickey uh, Melchiondo and um, Jean is Aaron Freeman um, so they are stage names they kind of took that from uh, the Ramones as like an inspiration to have stage names, which to me already is like an awesome thing that they're, uh, and it shows those punk roots. Totally. Um, but, but yeah, so uh, they took the names uh, Gene and Dean and, you know, took those stage names and became this persona. It's like, it's, they're not just guys on a stage playing music. They are ween, like they are Gene and Dean. And when they're on stage, they are those characters. Um, and it's interesting because at this point, it's a five-piece band. Um, and But n- none of the other three have nicknames. Uh, Dave Drywitz on bass, uh, Claude Coleman on drums, and Glenn McClellan Cleland on uh, keyboard. So they don't have nicknames. Um, there's been some people... From time to time, uh, there's a mean ween um, mixed in there back in the day. Um, but in general, they're just, they're the ones that have, they're the two that have the nickname, that have the stage names. And the other guys just have their regular names. So it's always been, even though it's a five-piece right, band, it's always been about those two as the, the leaders that um, that create the music and, and, and lead the band uh, every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah, because without without either one of those two, I mean, the other, any one of the other three could fall off and assumedly it'd still be Ween, but if but if Gene or Dean fell off, it it would cease to be Ween. Yeah, and I mean early on, so they started back in uh, 1984, way back in the day in middle school. Um, you know, infamously or famously they they met in a typing class and um 
for a long time, it was really just them two with a digital audio tape, um, you know, drum beat background backing uh, tracks and just them playing everything, mostly Mickey playing everything uh, with Aaron uh, doing vocals and uh, and playing some rhythm and whatnot. And, and they had uh, f uh, other, you know, people helping them from here and there. Uh, in particular, Andrew Weiss uh, from uh, Rollins Band. Um, he did a lot of bass for them early on and was an integral part of the band for a while uh, in the earlier era, uh, Godwin Satan and uh, the pod and whatnot. But uh, so for a long time, it really was just the, them two. And it wasn't until you get further along into the 90s that it becomes the five-piece band. I think that's one of the things that's really unique about them, especially when you go back and you look at the at the early days, the fact that it was just the two guys and they actually put on a live show. So like when you go back and you look at a, some of those early shows, um, especially one of the clubs that they played a lot was City Gardens in, in Trenton, New Jersey. And a lot of those shows, they opened for like legitimate you know, bands, legitimate punk bands from the time. And it's just the two guys. I mean, I think there's a lot of other bands over the years that have had, you know, sort of their driving forces. Like, okay, well, these two guys are really the main guys. But then they would add other musicians or whatever. But these guys actually went on stage with just the two of them and the backing drums, the, the, the dat tape, and actually put on a show. So, I mean, there really isn't that many bands over the years that you know could could say that i know there is a handful of them that have have become popular but that was sort of the one of the unique things about them is it was just them too and that's what you got i also think that that contributes to the rawness of that early material you look at godween satan and how sort of obnoxious and metal and punk it is a lot of it is anyway and i think yeah. it really does it, you know it comes out in because you just have two guys and you got to throw a couple tracks on the dat in the background, but then you have, you know, a lead guitar and a, and a singer. Um, so it's going to be raw and it's going to be kind of, um, a focused sound. You know, you don't have all these different pieces of a live band that are playing different, uh, solos and, and different pieces of songs. It's just those two dudes. Totally. Yeah. So, so talk about, talk about Boognish, the Boognish. So the Boognish is the uh, sort of best example of it. But one of the things about Ween is that they have, it's almost like a mythology that their, their songs are about. Um, and the, like those Boognish rising above the mist, wielding a scepter of power, you know, and, it, and it's just sort of, it almost becomes like a religion that they're preaching, um, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of examples throughout their songs of it's almost like a mythology you know you, you've got uh like one of the on the quebec uh the argus and the argus is this mythical creature with all these eyes and he's watching everyone he's watching over you there's you know captain fantasy you know it's there's just and the boognish is the is the origin of that and this this idea of the boognish that that you uh you worship um you know um you know, I'm, I can't speak, uh, I, I can't say for certain if, um, you know, exactly when the Boognish came into play. Uh, the early years is kind of a bit uh, mystical. Um, between 84 and 1990, 
1990 is when Gone Ween Satan came out. Um, so everything before that yeah, is yeah. a little bit mystical, uh, even for big fans, because that was really, I mean, they're still, I mean, shoot, in 84, they're in middle school, right? So, I mean, come on now. So, so that goes way back. You know, the other thing is, I just want to say about the Bugnish in like a, a, you know, a practical sense, you know, I hate to, to, uh, you know, destroy the mystique or, or anything like that. But, you know, they say one of the things about a band that really, uh, helps them throughout their career, um, you know, uh, financially, uh, just being recognized throughout, you know, the world is their logo. And, you know, if you go back, even their first album, he's right on the front. So it's like from then until now, that logo just represents the band. And when you see the Bugnish, you know that that's Ween. Or, you know, if you have the shirt or whatever and you, you know, one of your buddies asks you, oh, what is that? Oh, it's Ween. So it just is a very recognizable kind of image. And, you know, more or less is a a, a kind of a uh, demonic smiley face with some very spiky hair um sort of instead and of mouth, having the mouth is like a grill super recognizable yeah like instead of having super like just a regular smile it has sort of like a uh, a grid of of teeth and then some spikes on on top of its head um yeah right. yeah absolutely yeah, I, probably more people are familiar with just if you see the Bugnish, you know that means we you know what it is versus people yeah. who are actually familiar with the music. It's like one of those things where you know you see the people with the Ramones T-shirt, you know, just that iconic you know Ramones logo, and it's like have those people you know what it is? It's like have you even really listened to the Ramones? You know, it's like probably not, but they got the shirt. You know what I mean? And it's just you know that image is Ween that represents Ween, and it just it always it's always worked. So I just pulled up I just I just pulled up the um the self-released demo the 6 cassette in the in the 80s and it's Mr. Slack, Crucial Squeegee and then in 1987 it was Axis Bold as Bugnish. And so and so yeah, it, I think the Bugnish has been with them since at least 87. Totally. Or the yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, it goes pretty much to the beginning. And I have to say, you know, it's one of those things Anytime I see someone with a ween shirt with a boognish, if I see a boognish, I have to stop whatever I'm doing and hail that person. Oh, of course. Um, no just question. Just last year, I was walking downtown and um, there was a you know, mother-father with a seven, eight-year-old kid and the kid had a boognish shirt. And of course, I'm, you know, 40 years old. Hell yeah. But, um, Hell yeah. but I immediately like go to this girl and I'm like, boognish rules. And the parents are kind of like, what? And then they realize that I'm talking about the Bugnish shirt, Bugnish on her funny. shirt. And then they realize it was totally cool that this 40-year-old dude was like yeah. talking to their like eight-year-old, you know, like out of nowhere. Or at least I think it was cool because they sort of smiled and laughed. But but anyway, you have to. Like if you see a Bugnish, you have to acknowledge it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's the mentality it is with, you know – not every band for sure, but there are the select few. And I feel like we should talk about it maybe a little bit more when we get down the line here. But, but Ween is one of those, is one of those bands that, 
that the fans and that the the fan community is just as much a part as of the of the big of the big picture of Ween is is honestly you know Dean or Gene or or the band themselves because the fans it's to say it's a cult following is is to understate it. I mean, it's a and and you guys could probably speak to this better, but it's a it's a it's a community. It's a worldwide community. I was reading some some of the stats from from Australia and the UK, and it's not just here in the states that that Ween has this huge cult community following, but it's it's everywhere. It's across the globe. Yeah, and they they um, in the early '90s started touring overseas too which is kind of wild just two guys and a dat and they're in europe touring um you know from the states so it's that's pretty wild i would put it uh, a little bit um from so a way that i could phrase that as far as the fans and the cult following for myself um and this varies from shane but um you know i've been to other shows i've been to some dead shows i've been to you know very bob dylan i you know i've been to bonnaroo i've been to some shows yeah but 99% of the shows that I've gone to are ween shows. Like I go to ween shows. I don't go to concerts. I go to ween shows, you know, and, and Shane's different. So Shane's been to, uh, you know, a lot of, lot more shows than I have besides ween, you know, like if, if you take ween out of the equation, Shane's been to a lot more shows than me, but I go to ween shows. Like that's what I do. You know, it's like seeing the, seeing the fans, like throughout the years, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, you know, it's beyond like a cult status, you know, but there was a certain time where, you know, there was like an attitude among the fans as well. And, you know, I I was guilty of it or basically it's just like, you know, are you as hardcore as I am? You know what I mean? And, and, you know, it just was, you know, or just a rabid, uh, you know, fan base and it could, you know, it could get a little ugly at times. And I think in the last, I'd say between 10 and 15 years, that's kind of, you know, eased off a little bit because it's like, okay, the majority of the fans have, you know, grown up with them. Again, I'm, you know, Rory and I are the same age. So, you know, we're, we're grown adults at this point. It's like, okay, you know, let's calm it down a little bit. And you see some of like the younger fans getting into it. So it's like, you know, kids and, you know, just teenagers, people who are, are growing up getting into music and they're finding out about it, and it just keeps, like, going on. One of the other things about them that's so interesting is there isn't really, like, a time stamped to it. There isn't really, like, you you can't, we talked about this on our show a couple of times, you can't really pinpoint it as, like, a 90s thing. I mean, yeah, they, they you know, their career, for the most part, was, was done in the 90s, early 2000s. You know, they released the majority of their albums, but the music is so diverse, so it doesn't really get, like, dated. So every so many years, you just see these new fans come up, and it's just, like, one of those things that every teenager who, you know, goes down, like, an alternative music rabbit hole is probably going to, you know, pick up some ween at some point. And it just, there there it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in in read... in redoing the research for this for this episode, I went back and I listened to Godween Satan and the Pod, nice. their first couple albums. And to be honest, I refell I refell in love with Ween because <laughs> because 
because like you say yeah the the music is so it's it's so you could listen to it in the 90s or you can listen to it in 2019 and it and it sounds i mean the guys were were way ahead of their time but it but it sound you you couldn't place it you couldn't i couldn't say whether godween satan was was produced and released in 2018 or in 1990 or like 1979 you know I, mean? I mean shit it's like it could really be all over the place yeah right well, one of the things I'll say about Godween Satan, and I actually, you know, just re-listened to it in in preparation for this podcast. One of the things I'll say about that album is not only does it not have like a specific kind of time frame like associated with it, but you know, all of like the groundwork is there. You know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of short, you know, sort of like punk rock tunes or whatever. But it is, it's so diverse that it kind of is like a representation of what their career would become because there's a lot of, you know, longer, um, you know, funk type stuff on it too. And, you know, it just goes from one kind of song to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, there's no specific length. It's not like you can say every song is within uh, two to four minutes long. It's like, no, there are songs on it that are, uh, I don't know, a minute and a half up to... I, I don't know what the longest one is, eight minutes or, or nine minutes. LMLYP so it's like is, is about eight minutes. Yeah, it's just there's like there's no rules. You know what I mean? You're talking about you and you're talking about Godwin. Yes. Satan. Yeah, right? Godwin oh, Satan. And, and and you have, you know, like birthday boys on Godwin Satan. And that's like a sweet, somber song, you know, and, and that's where when, when people start talking about them as like a joke, joke rockers, you know, and I feel like they just totally discount this really uh, profound and 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 sort of somber side that they can have. You know, you got birthday boys on there, and that that to me, like we we're saying, how there's a little bit of everything on Godwin Satan that uh, presages their whole career. I mean, that's part of it. Like, it's not all you know. And don't laugh, I love you. It's I was just going to say bit that. funny, but it's really just a sweet song. It's a sweet song about loving someone. Totally. And um, so yeah, every little piece is on. Godwin Saint's got a little bit of everything, and it's all kind of like the the proto. You know, it's all sort of you get the glimmers of everything, but it's really raw, and they're still working out their genius, um, and just dealing with it as a two piece band with some people like Andrew Weiss helping out and whatnot. Um, so they have it. It, it hasn't. Got, it didn't get dynamic. Uh, and you talked about the you know the fans right and how the fans come in. And as they grew as a band, the music became more dynamic. And so the live performances, for example, of songs from Godwin Satan are not that much like the actual album. Yeah, um, I'm just looking over I'm just looking over it and it, it looks like it was released it was released under Twin Tone in nineteen eighty nine, their first album. January first, nineteen ninety, I thought was the date, but it could be late eighty nine. Stand corrected. Yeah, it's ni- it's nineteen ninety. Yep. It's it's eighty nine. It's eighty nine that they signed. Yeah, with and Twin they're recording Tone. it obviously, and then. Yeah. So so they must have did a demo and then signed with with Twin Tone and then released Godween Satan in ninety. And it yeah it's it's got it's got a bunch of tracks on it too. It's got what like twenty six. Oh yeah, I mean I oh, shoot, it's a lot. I'd have to count them up to be sure. Well, one of the. One of the things that's cool yeah. about about Godween Satan also is, you know, Kenny, you had mentioned some of uh, those really early 
like cassette tape, you know, that's basically just like the uh, self-released, like I said, DIY kind of like cassettes that they made just themselves. So Godwin mm-hmm. Satan is is kind of like a best of of like all of those, you know, quote unquote albums. You know what I mean? Oh, so really? You can, you can go back to some, not everything, you know, you could find on those early cassettes, but you can you can go back on those cassettes and you can find tracks that would later be put on to Godween Satan. So it's kind of like they're, you know, this is all of the, the best stuff off of, you know, their cassette tape, do-it-yourself albums that they made, you know. And it's it, it sounds great. That's the other thing about it is... You know, like you said, it's 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 not dated. Also, in the fact of the production is second to none. It's you know, it still sounds amazing, especially the redone version from I think it's like two thousand one. It came out. They they made like a remastered um, version of it. Abs just sounds absolutely great still to this day. It's awesome because yeah. it's the twenty fifth anniversary edition, but it's only you know ten or eleven years old. Um, <laughs> if I could add, I could add. Um, as far as uh, Twin Tone, <laughs> sorry, uh, as far as Twin Tone, um, I believe the way it went down is they were actually opening for another band, uh, Skunk, in uh, at City Garden, I believe, uh, but um, but they were actually opening and uh, Twin Tone was there to see Skunk and then they saw Ween open for him and they signed him that night. Oh, wow. Uh, and so that's how that worked out. And Skunk actually is where uh, Claude Coleman, who ends up becoming the Ween drummer, uh, that was the band he was in at the time. Um, but um, oh, very but yeah, cool. So the second the, the record label saw him, they were like, "We have to have these guys." And and I don't know about Skunk, but what a bummer to have. Yeah. <laughs> to have the record label come and watch you play, and then sign the opening act, and then sign the opener. Yeah. Um, and then I'm looking at it here, and then. And then in 91, they released the pod. I, I watched I watched an interview with Dean. He was talking about how the pod got the name, but it looks like they went under a different a different record label. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a nerd for this stuff, for the for all the for the dates and the labels and stuff. Do you guys know what the deal is with that? With the with it looks like they were recorded. The, the pod refers to the the pod refers to the where they were living at the time, their the apartment or the the flat they were in. They called the pod. I believe. So that's where that comes from as far as the name. Shane can probably say more about the record label aspect of it. Looks like it was Shimmy Disc. Well, I, Shimmy Disc label. Yeah, the So the so the the original CD and the original um vinyl record came out on Shimmy Disc. Um I don't really know too much about them. Um I think it's just a, a another sort of like small like indie label. I know that in some of the interviews with with Diener, you know, he speaks about you know, they that that's sort of like the the start of like the lo-fi era, just because there wasn't the the money to spend on you know the production of it. So you know, it's just it's kind of back to the you know like well let's just do it ourselves. You know, it's just them with like the four track. Um, but by the time you know the pod and then their their next album Pure Guava were, were made. You know, they're really getting it down in terms of doing like the dubs and the overdubs and just doing it themselves and just laying down track after track after track. So it's like they can do it and they can make it still sound, you know, pretty good. It doesn't sound as good as as Godween Satan, but um, 
again, it's still very listenable. It has a much different uh, sort of attitude and a much different, uh, you know, feel about it. It's a lot more slow. It's a lot more sort of like somber. It still does have some upbeat and, you know, punk uh, type songs in it. Also has some really pretty songs. A lot of, you know, a couple of really beautiful songs also, you know. But it definitely has a much, overall, has a much more slow kind of feel than than Godween Satan. Yeah. Well, I was going to say my... My, uh, I don't remember what song I was playing, but usually when I play Ween, my, my wife does not like Ween, like even a little bit. <laughs> she doesn't like Ween even a little bit. But the other day I was playing a couple of the really pretty songs because they do, and especially, especially on the later albums when you get into, when you get into even White Pepper and, um, I guess Chocolate and Cheese doesn't really have any of like the I I can't remember exactly what song was playing, but she was like, "Who is this?" And I told her I was like Ween, and she didn't believe me. She's like, "No, it's not." I had to show her that it was Ween, and she was like, "I might like Ween." I was like, "Yeah, I know you might." <laughs> <laughs> Everybody likes Ween; they just don't know it. Totally. The pod uh, when they recorded the pod um, when they were working on the pod and recording it, they both had mono, and so that's kind of an infamous thing because we talked about, oh, it's kind of slow and and little weird and off compared to Godwin Satan being really loud and upbeat. And it really kind of, it's like the musical embodiment of having mono. Yeah, totally. Um, So I, so we're not going to be, if we can't go over every, I'm looking down my, down my notes here and there's a lot of information here and, and I don't think we're going to yes. be able to go over every single album, but I wanted to get to a couple things. I wanted to get to when they signed with Elektra, because don't they stay with Elektra all the way through to the end? Or or did they switch again after Elektra? Because they signed with Elektra for Pure Pure Guava in 92, right? Which was their third album? Yes, that's correct. Yep. And then did they stay, w- did they stay with Elektra all the way through? I'm pretty sure that Elektra actually dropped them. Uh, I think it was after um, White Pepper, and then their last two studio albums would be on two different labels after that. So the 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 bulk of their most popular material, I would say, is is on Elektra and was distributed by Elektra. Yes. And then after Elektra, they also had their own record label, Chaco Dog Records, uh, that they released some live sets and uh, self-produced. Uh, items that they did as well yeah um i was gonna say i was just agreeing that we don't have time to cover every single album yeah i'm looking through it and (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of really good there's a lot of good really good information and honestly you could do that you could go through every album because i feel like with ween you you see them you see them switching up their style and every album it's not like some artists that kind of release the same it's the same flow and it's the same sound i mean it's all ween and it's all them doing their thing but but each album like like you were talking about 12 golden country greats like that's that's completely off the map and then i think chocolate and cheese is another one that i feel like I feel like was a little bit more mainstream, but it's definitely has a different, 
a different sound and chocolate and cheese came out after pure guava in 94 and i think that's when they really started picking up and when they really started getting popular before that though weren't they on because this is something that i learned in doing in doing this episode didn't beavis beavis and butthead do a do an episode with yes with one of their tunes push the little daisies yeah yeah i i think that i think there was a couple of videos that were that were on beavis and butthead over the years yeah um the 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 first one the first video well the the first video that actually like sort of gained some traction was from pure guava which was push little daisies which you know in my opinion i don't know if this is actually true or not that would be like the biggest quote-unquote single that they would ever you know have that that's still even to this day is something that you know, people who aren't Ween fans might, like, recognize, you know, Push a Little Daisy. And the fact that, you know, it was on Beavis and Butthead, I mean, it was pretty big at the time. You yeah. know, pretty big deal at the time. Yeah, that was definitely their, their uh, the height of their sort of popular appeal was going from Push Little Daisies and Beavis and Butthead to, through Chocolate and Cheese. That's really, when you're talking about the notoriety and and the record label pushing them out and uh and all of those pieces together that really is when they were big they were part of um it's just pat or it's pat i'm sorry the saturday night live uh movie kenny i don't know have you seen that yeah heard yeah, of that? yeah 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 so they so they had a couple tunes on that and they're actually in that movie as well and that's from around that time period as well um as an example of another way that they were kind of part of popular culture um, albeit it's a kind of a B movie from SNL that not a lot of people know about anymore, but yeah, I remember, I remember that movie I, for sure. I think it's a great flick. And, and for some of the younger people that may be listening to this episode, Beavis and Butthead was an old, I can't believe I have to explain this, but I think I do. Beavis and Butthead was an old cartoon that used to be on, on MTV and they used to, they used to sit in their, in their cartoon living room and watch and watch music videos on the TV and, and it's how a lot of it's actually how a lot of artists kind of pushed their way into the mainstream and it was kind of, Beavis and Butthead was a big deal and and like I say it was on MTV and so they incorporated the music end of it too and yeah they, that was from 93 to 97 so that was really the um, the height of the alt rock time period and so that fits perfectly in with Ween at that time and and so that makes it makes a lot of sense that that's kind of how one of the ways that they were able to get that uh, popular exposure. And if, if anybody is listening that doesn't know Beavis and Butthead, basically what it was was about five minutes of animation and then about 20 minutes of videos. You know, the, each, each episode, yeah, each episode was more of just, you know, music videos and the, the same, like, recycled, like, animation of the two of them sitting there watching the TV, uh, coupled with probably about, maybe not even five minutes, about four minutes total of, you know, new animation for each episode. And for a while there, when it, when it first like hit and became really popular, it was on every night. It was, and I think maybe even like twice a night, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is pretty unheard of. I mean, you're talking about for, for that time period, uh, a, a decent amount of televisions in the country were watching that show every night 100 percent. so yeah. it's um also 
Shane mentions is like five minutes of, of actual uh, animation, and four of those minutes is probably just laughing on repeat, like <laughs> them going like, huh, huh, huh. Yeah, right. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty light, lean on the uh, on the actual like work. <laughs> And it's a Mike Judge. It's a Mike Judge um, who does uh, uh, Office Space and um, King of the Hill. I'm blanking on the uh, yeah, King yeah, of the Hill. King of the yeah. Hill. Yeah, it was the one. It was the one show. My dad was pretty loose on what I could watch on TV. It was the one show that I couldn't watch. He it drove him crazy, and and it came on right as he was getting off work. And so every day that he got off work, I had to I had to sit by my TV because we didn't have a remote control. <laughs> I had to sit by the TV with my finger on the power button and wait for him to open the door because I couldn't let him catch me watching Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. Well, to, to, to be honest, I wasn't a big Beavis and Butthead fan, but when I discovered that Ween had you know, some, some songs on there, it was like, all right, I got to watch some Beavis and Butthead just to see if I can catch the, uh, the Ween video. Well, if you go back and, and you look at that era, you know, between... Pure Guava, so they made Push a Little Daisies as a music video for Pure Guava. And then in 1994, Chocolate and Cheese is released. And, you know, you can kind of tell when you go back and look at the, the history of it, Chocolate and Cheese is, is like the first and only time between the band and the record label, you know, they obviously were really trying to, like, push this thing. I mean, you're talking, this is like the height of alternative rock, so it's like you got uh, the Flaming Lips, uh, the Pixies, uh, the Chili Peppers, like all the other, all the other like alternative rock bands of like the early '90s. I mean, that's when they're really like you know they're hot. So between the band and the music label, you know, the Elektra, you know, we don't really know who's who's pushing what and and for what reasons. But there are three videos that are made. So it's Voodoo Lady. I can't put my finger on it. And um, uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Freedom of 76. Yeah, Freedom of 76. So there's three videos that are made. And, you know, that you could tell that they were really trying to, like, push this thing. And, again, you know, like, a couple of the videos wind up on Beavis and Butthead. And, it, you know, they sort of scratch the surface of, of, of hitting, like, the, the mainstream notoriety. But it doesn't really happen. And then I think, you know, you mentioned uh, Golden Country Greats is what comes after that in uh, 1995 or 96. Six. And it's just, I, I know the, the country album tour was in 1996 and is just completely like off the radar. There's no videos. There's no, you know, there's no quote unquote single for it. If, if there was, it, it, it never, you know, maybe it, it got some college radio airplay or something like that. But it's just, you know. Again, between the band and the record label, we don't know who's pushing what, but it's like no one's pushing anything for that. Well, talk you know, a, really talk talk about how that was recorded because they they kind of did that album Twelve Golden Country Greats in 1996 under Elektra. They did that a lot different than they did anything else that they had done up to that point, right? Can you talk about that a little bit and and them yeah, going to Nashville? So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll uh, start with that, and then Shane can kind of chime in. Um, so Golden Country Greats, uh, just to, you know, that's what they came up with after Chocolate and Cheese. And um, it threw everyone for a loop, and I don't think anyone knew how, what to make of it, right? And then, um, 
shortly around that time, you kind of have the alternative rock scene collapsing, and then it's like, and then where does, you know, how does Ween continue their popularity? And so that's kind of interesting how they had this peak of popularity with ch chocolate and cheese, but then they kind of say fuck you to everyone and make this country album. Um, so one of the things that was happening is Andrew Weiss was, uh, he was helping the band with bass. You know, early on it was always the, uh, Dean and Gene, but then uh, they met Andrew Weiss uh, through the Rollins band because they would open for Rollins band and, and uh, in the late 80s and whatnot. And, and he was helping with the bass and he was doing production and mixing for them. And he, he was becoming more and more of a part of the band. And so once they got, when they were done with Chocolate and Cheese, it kind of got to a point where I think it kind of was Diener mostly, but probably both of them, that they didn't have a problem with Andrew. I mean, they loved the guy, but they're the band leaders, Dean and Gene. And with all due respect to Andrew Weiss, if he continued to be this large base, you know, large part of the band, then the two, Gene and Dean, would have to cede control. And then it wouldn't be them leading the band, it would be the three of them. But it had always been supposed to be about them too. So there was kind of this moment where they sort of had to have a little bit of a breakup with Andrew Weiss, um, although he continues to help with production, not on Country Greats, but on uh, other albums, The Mollusk and, and others after that. But um, but they kind of had to had to cut him out of the uh, the musical aspect and saying, look, you're not going to be a part of the uh, the music anymore. And so it almost sort of it became this, you know, hey, we could we can sort of maybe delay having to tell him or or kind of let's just go off and do this thing in Nashville so we can kind of avoid all of that and do our thing. Um, and, and they went down to Nashville. They, uh, it's all a whole, whole lot of session, uh, actual legitimate country musicians down in Nashville that play practically all of the music on the album. Uh, but they went down there and they said, you know, we, what the hell we want to do this. We want to do something totally different than what people are expecting. Uh, get out of our, 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 uh, comfort zone and, and do this cool country album. And so that's kind of how, how that came about. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think the whole like joke rockers kind of like comes from, or, or, or at least, you know, it kind of continues on, you know, the, the perception of them of like, oh, you know, they're just doing that to be funny or they're just doing that to be crazy. Cause you know, they're, they're fucking ween and you know, it's just a bunch of crazy dudes and, but, you know, you listen to the country album more than once and you're going to realize it's just amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it's, I, it's I, legit. It's one of my favorite it albums. Is it is absolutely. Um, we, had a, we had a podcast that we kind of ranked our top three albums and I put it in my top three. Uh, <laughs> and that's controversial. That's totally controversial. Um I'm not saying I get hate for that, but I don't, I think a lot of people disagree with me, <laughs> but I just think it is brilliant. And I mentioned the word before, but postmodern, it's like just totally upends what you expect out of them. And the songs are brilliant. They are for the most part, all, or most of them are legitimate 
country songs. Yeah. That they're they're not meant to be they're not meant to be um they're sincere, I think is the way to put it. They sincerely made these country songs. It wasn't meant to be a joke. And a lot of people thought it was meant to be a joke, but it wasn't. It was very sincere that they wanted to do this. And uh, and so many of the songs are very much like real country songs and brilliant. Remind me to re- remind me to ask you what your what you ranked number one at after we get through after we get towards the end. I want to hear both of your guys's you guys's number one Ween album. <laughs> well, you know, just l- let me just uh, finish my thought on the country album. I mean, talk about being ahead of its time. I mean, you know, again, this is still in like the alternative rock days of you know the mid to late nineties, and this is what Ween you know releases. So I, I think. Even people who may have been fans of, you know, pure guava, chocolate and cheese, you know, the stuff that would come before it, you know, probably heard that and were just like, what the fuck is this? You know, it it, it took you a couple of of tries. It took you a couple of times to sort of like get into it. But I think now it really has like gained its due. You know, they had a tour um, a year ago or so where they played the whole thing. Uh, for at least a few shows. I don't know how many off the top of my head. And, I mean, the country album has really found, like, its its fan base. It's no longer that sort of, like, black sheep of, like, the Ween catalog, you know? Dude, I'll tell you, that that that's how I discovered Ween, was was 12 Golden Country Greats. A buddy of my, wow. a buddy of mine gave me that a buddy of mine gave me that CD and I was I was on board and then it was I think chocolate <laughs> and cheese after that but twelve golden country greats that that's what I I think I was I think I was seventeen so that would have been ninety nine or ninety eight mm-hmm. and yeah yeah it's it's definitely one of my favorites but I'm not as I'm not as immersed in the ween in the ween scene if I may if I may be so bold <laughs> it's uh, bold as boognish. Um, now we can we, we both, uh, Shane and I first discovered Ween during the chocolate and cheese, uh, when chocolate and cheese was the most recent album. And, and so golden country greats came, you know, we, we got into Ween and we're like, we, this is an awesome band. And then golden country greats came out. That was like the first album to come out while we were already fans. And then that was also the first tour that we went to see them because that was the first opportunity to see them. Oh, it's the golden country greats tour. So you guys were on board. You guys were on board early. You guys were you guys were into it like in the in the the golden days of Ween. Yeah, we can't we can't uh, claim to go all the way back, but uh, but yeah, you know we we got in. You know we were both in. I I forget, I can't think of what grade at the time, but high school, and uh, and yeah, I mean that's when we discover we're from southeastern Pennsylvania, so we're in the general region we're in the region of where ween's from so they're they were kind of a local band for us and and yeah we got into it uh, you know at 95 or early 96 and um yeah and so it, it'll, it always holds a special place for us because it was our first show and it was at the trocadero in philadelphia for people out there that are familiar with philly and uh, it's a small venue, and it was there was so it was not even close to being full. So it was such a small crowd, and they played. They had the they had a country band. It was them too. It was just, this is before they had the full five piece band formed yet. Um, so I know it was them too, 
I don't know if Claude was on drums for that show. Shane, you may he have pro- to help me with that. He probably was. It probably was Claude, yes. Because Claude, was sure Claude was came on, on board in 94 as far as a drummer for the band. But everyone else on stage were just the dudes from, from Nashville. Um, the one guy I always remember, Stu Basori, um, played the slide guitar. And he had a bottle of Jack on the stage. And he was just drinking the bottle of Jack. You know, and it was just these country, country, sing, country musicians, and they're just playing. And so it was awesome because not only was the show obviously like every single one of the songs off the country album, but you also had songs from Chocolate and Cheese and other songs that the country musicians had to figure out how to play. So it really was a unique uh, concert to go see. And so I really, I'm, I'm kind of, it's awesome to think back and be like, wow, that was the first show, the country country tour. That's cool. If you want to hear a really shitty uh, audio quality podcast, you'll check out our very first episode where we tell the, the story of going to see that show. And also <laughs> just a little bit about how we got into Ween. It's actually, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Of course, I've listened to it, you know, I don't even know how many, uh, a dozen times or whatever. Um you know, this is going back a few years now. So, I mean, we still don't really know what we're doing in terms of the podcast. We really didn't know at that time. But we we tell the whole story of going to see the country uh, tour show on that first episode. Yeah, cool. We'll have to check it out. Yeah, it, it is lo-fi. So, in in honor of our of Ween and their lo-fi era, our, yeah, yeah. our early podcasts are pretty lo-fi themselves. Rough around the edges in a good way. Um, so, so after 12 golden country greats, they do, they do the mollusk and it's, they're still under Electra and they do, they do white pepper in 2000. Um, I think, I, I think Mickey got married. Was it Mickey that got married or do you guys know anything about that? I don't know that it really matters. Oh man, that's shoot. I'm a little bit, um week on the uh, the personal family history stuff. I I know that they were I I know that they were both married at least once as far as I know I'm pretty sure that uh that that Mickey is still married to the um to the same um uh lady. I think uh Aaron has been either married twice or I know that he was divorced at at one point. I'm not sure if that was the you know his his first and only wife. And as far as I know, I think both of them only have one child i i don't know that for sure i i I know aaron has a daughter and uh diener has a son i that's that's as far as my my knowledge goes for and i believe aaron's remarried now he um yeah i think so so he's in the second marriage i believe at this point and from the from the mollusk from the mollusk that was released in 97 um i know that i know that that movie orgasmo from um trey parker and matt stone I know that they did a, that I think it was, I think it was, I think it was a song from, from the mollusk that was, that was in that movie. Um, I do know that, I do know that right around this time that they are getting some songs and like, they're getting some, I don't want to say media attention because they've, they've always kind of flown under the radar, but I know a lot of movies are starting to use, I know a couple of the, like, like the fratty bro movies used a couple of their songs um and orgasmo which which is a cool movie 
on South Park, Homo Rainbow is a song they have that uh, I believe was on South Park. Yeah, it's like the South Park album. Yeah. So that, yeah, yeah, totally the South Park album. So, so yeah, I mean, they're still getting some of that, you know, sort of media exposure um, that, uh, that continues, uh, you know, there's that, and that's true on Quebec as well. Uh, it never gets to the point that it was under uh, pure guava or chocolate and cheese, but uh, probably everyone's, the critics out there and, and, and the world out there was probably more content to see the mollusks come out after Golden Country Greats. Although, to be honest, that also threw everyone for a loop, and people didn't know how to take that at first because the mollusk is kind of this collection of sea shanty songs and, uh, you know, these crazy old folk tunes of the, of the sea kind of thing. And, and coming after Golden Country Greats, people started to think, who the hell are these guys? They just do these, like, crazy <laughs> concept albums. And they didn't. They never even intended it to be a concept album. That's just sort of the way it became. There's kind of there's a whole legendary story about they uh, they rented a house down to the Jersey down the shore in Jersey, um, basically for the for uh, part of the winter time, and uh, and they're just on the cold, you know, windy, you know, stormy coast of New Jersey during the off season, um, you know, and it just sort of came together. Uh, Aaron had a, a book of old folk tunes, um, like Irish folk tunes or something like that. And and next thing you know, they're just recording these songs that that all sort of have this this flavor to it. And and again, it's one of those things where they told it was all sincere. They didn't come into it saying, "Ho oh, ho, we're gonna, you know, make all these songs about mollusks and the ocean and and all that." That's just sort of how it became. And people look at it and think, you know, oh, they're just joking and they're just, what are they doing? It's like, no, dude, you are totally misunderstanding what we're doing here. Yeah, it's a it's a really good album, The Mollusk. It's it's really dark too. It and and again, and I know I said it earlier in the show, but it's another one where where they go. It it's completely different from from the album before, and I feel like they do that with every album. It's they really bounce around, kind of like their songs do, because. When you listen to an album, especially the earlier stuff, when you listen to an album, you can go from one song that's that's heavy on guitar and it's really punk rock and it's you know it's really up tempo, and then the next song will be a slow um, a slow ballad with you know a lot of minor keys and and a lot of you know slow tempo, and and then the next song will mm-hmm. be like a reggae song or or a funk song or whatever. And I feel like they really do that with the albums because because the mollusk was and that's another album that I really got into and it but it definitely has a really dark a really dark kind of melancholy feel to it where you know I I don't I don't know am I off base in saying that um no I think I think that's definitely a part of it I mean you got song like cold blows the wind right I mean that's a beautiful song but that is definitely melancholy you know it's definitely somber um but you also have, uh, you know, like I'll be your Johnny on the spot, which is kind of like a like a punk song, and the Blarney Stone, which is just really ribald and ridiculous, especially live. I mean, they go they just go ridiculous with that, uh, talking about nut sacks and and pimples on nut sacks and and all kinds <laughs> of ridiculous stuff and bloody piss and and all kinds of things. 
But uh, but yeah, you know, I'd go with that um, kind of melancholy as a piece of it. Um, and just to add to what you're saying about all the albums, absolutely, I agree that they're all distinctly, they're all distinct. Every album they put out is distinct and its own uh, entity. Uh, so, and that's something we talk about all the time is when you're comparing them and saying, oh, which one's the best or how do you rank them? It's hard because they are all so different. And so different Ween fans that have different tastes will like different albums more or less because of their specific tastes in Ween music. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, some people, some people like the metal punk Ween stuff more. Some people like the melancholy somber stuff more. Some people like the, the funk you know, uh, they got a, they got. There's a very heavy, uh, sort of funkadelic and Prince uh, influence on some of their music. You know, and, and and that that starts to lean a little more towards the jam side, which is probably something we'll talk about at some point uh, this evening. And uh, and so the jam side of it, some people get into that part of the Ween. So every album is absolutely different. Um, and the Mollusk is uh, Mollusk is one that we consider. That's also one of the best in my in our both of our opinions. It's one of the best albums they mm -hmm. put out. Um, and and while while I agree that that melancholy is part of it, there's also it's just got a lot of variety. And and I always feel like it's it's it really does hearken to it, it's an album that puts you in a place. And when I listen to it, I truly feel like I'm in a mythological country that is by the ocean with mythological creatures like the golden eel, um, you know, Buckingham green, like there's, you know, this, you know, polka dot tail, whales with polka dot tails, you know, and, and, and you feel like you're in this mythological country by the ocean and it just puts you right in that place. What's up people. My name is Sean and I'm the host of you're not listening, a podcast where we teach you how to actively listen to music one song at a time. Every episode, I sit down with my father, who was a mobile DJ for over 35 years, and we each bring a song to the table and talk about what makes it great, why you should listen to it, and why you should appreciate it through detailed analysis of the words and music, some personal stories that we might have with that, and hopefully will help you change your mind and get you listening to music in a little bit different way so you get a little bit more out of it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. If you love music and you want to figure out how you can love it even more, maybe even learn how to appreciate a song that you think you hate it's you're not listening a music podcast check it out thanks everyone well that was part one i hope you enjoyed listening yeah look forward to part two coming soon in the meantime hit us up on all the socials and uh thanks for listening later